um how finn how are you going oh uh not good i'm at the stage of lockdown where i uh i've reconnected my playstation 2 and i'm now playing need for speed carbon uh, i'm trying to complete the story mode all over again just using the first car you get without uh, without ever upgrading it okay i did have a similar last lockdown i did do that with star wars episode one racer oh yeah which is uh, absolutely and sincerely the best cultural product in any form, whether official or unofficial, to come out of uh, the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Uh, and second place is Gendy Tarkovsky's uh, Clone Wars TV show. I just right. I want to really make clear how much I love racing in those pods. Now, this is pod racing, yippee, etc. I mean, I also paid over $100 for a copy of a movie that I already own. So What, what film? Uh, the Guest. There is a, a 4K limited edition coming out from Second Sight Films. And even though I already have a Blu-ray of The Guest, I'm getting this, getting this 4K. Cost me £57. Look, I could not relate, Finn. Oh no, what's this? My Blu-ray <laughs> copy of season 24 of Doctor Who. That's right. 60 pounds for 14 25-minute episodes of television. Remastered beautifully. All of it shot on video. So definite nothing, no real HD in this. But let me tell you, I know what you're thinking. How could they have expanded that to eight Blu-ray discs? I'm and, very and curious. Look. Does each episode have at least four hours of unedited <laughs> footage from the studio floor? Yes. Awesome. That's, that's, uh, what, you, that's what you wanted. That's, that's what you can ask for this whole time. And look, does it contain one of the stories that is in competition for being what I think is the worst piece of Doctor Who that's not actively hateful? Yes. But does that episode also have... Uh, the Doctor being tricked for two whole episodes because the villain wears a wig, and so the Doctor is like, oh yeah, you're my companion. <laughs> uh, it, it's, oh, it's a camp classic, but uh, and I'm just saying, uh, yeah, I can't relate. Hey Finn, welcome to Shite and Sound. My name is Yutha Shite. And I am Finn Sound Nicholas. This is a slapstick podcast. You know, it's yeah. been real tough for us. As you can tell, we're recording remotely. We're in the fourth of what will probably end up being five weeks uh, of lockdown here in Tamaki Makoro. And, uh, and so it's been especially hard for us because normally, what I don't know why I'm explaining it, but listeners at home, you know what we're like. We're always describing the bits of slapstick that that we're currently doing like that time where i was where i was in the kitchen and i was like oh i'm just making a normal cup of coffee but then i got distracted by some topless bathers out my Ooh. window and i filled up the um coffee cup to, with too much boiling water Ugh, so it spilled classic. onto my foot and so i i i reflexively uh kicked and unfortunately there was a cute wee cat oh, next no. to me and that cat went straight through that window 
and turned into like a uh, like a just tiny like the Tasmanian devil, a uh, Mark Chopper Reed, um, <laughs> uh, uh, the swirling uh, tsunami gyre of violence and took out those poor topless sunbathers. Um, it was a real classic of our times. It's harder to do. Like Zoom slapstick is is more to do with like incorrectly judging when it's your time to talk. Yeah. And, and like last week you tried your approach for a long distance slapstick. Remind us how that went, Finn. Oh, I mean, who, 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 who could forget, you know? Uh, the memento guy. Next. Uh, I, of course, did my, my classic bit where, <laughs> where, I, where I set my Zoom background as a video of me and I did like a mirror bit with my with my own uh, with with a video of myself as my Zoom background. Yeah, it was it was classic and yeah. genuinely tragic that this is of course an audio podcast, not a vodcast, uh, and not even on YouTube. Though I've realised we could, I, I think, oh, this is not included in the podcast. <laughs> But since I'm using audio recordings from this Zoom, which I'm also recording, and that is time-coded against the audio recordings, I could apply our audio edits to the video. Okay. There might be something. It would get get pretty choppy in places, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, fuck the government, fuck the police? People would be able to say, yeah, yeah. How, how, how many different sentences uh, it takes for me to uh, produce one coherent sentence? Hey, look, Finn, <laughs> I've said it before, I'll say it again. The fact that you have a stutter, which is a medically proven thing, is purely in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> and all you have to do is harden up. Yeah. You know? I just got to believe Maybe- in myself. If you just took a breath, maybe. No, I think maybe, have you maybe, can... maybe a chill pill. Maybe I could build Finn. a bridge and get over it. I don't think you've ever considered this. I, I could get someone to call the ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> Lol. Um, no, have you considered this? Might really help with your speech impediment, which is what if you let people just constantly speak over you and, and like oh, attempt all the time. to finish shut up <laughs> uh, an attempt <laughs> an attempt to finish what you're trying to say in a way that they think is being helpful but is in fact pro- i assume quite damaging anyway ben loved your slapstick work last week yeah, thank you. And, and, and of course, the week before that, where it was simply the slapstick uh, of of us throwing an invisible ball back and forth between our Zoom windows mm-hmm. and, and um, being like, oh, now I'm holding it. Now I've pretended to throw it. And then you're like, I've caught it. And so on. Um, that was That got us our biggest ever... Uh, ratings of a podcast, uh, which is to say, people went crazy for that. Yeah, it was it was it was a real lemonade situation. <laughs> um, 
people freaking out on the street. They rush built a prop to parody it on Saturday Night Live. Um, apparently, like Colin Jost was in the props department yelling at them for not making the right invisible ball when like the the joke the thing we know is that of course uh that invisible ball is uh sorry to maybe this is a bit too behind the scenes but that invisible ball wasn't there at all oh it's 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 it's, it's part of our imagination yeah but that's the the thing that really makes our work so groundbreaking or so i thought because it, it's been a central tenet uh, of this podcast that, that Slapstick, the art form we invented, um, uh, it, it was new. Mm. That it kind of came from nowhere that we were like, what if we did things with our bodies that were amusing? Yeah. Uh, and we were like, it's surprising because lots of people are speaking funny. You know, uh, today Norm Macdonald died uh, and like incredible rest and pa- power and peace to Norm, uh, the, one of the best, if not the best speaker of funny. But we, we really looked at Norm and said, like, what if we did that with our, with our bodies and described it yeah. through our mouths on, on our podcast? It's, it's, it's very important that we describe every aspect of our slapstick comedy. That, that's what makes it so oh, well, important. Yeah. And... and Finn, what if I, and we've made quite a name of it. We're like the minimalists, guys. We've made quite a name for ourselves about around slapstick. Yeah, we, there are we, several we, documentaries we, about us. Yeah, we're, we're, we're just like the minimalist guys. We've made a lot of money doing bad work. Um, and repeating the same content over and yeah. over again, gervasing, if you will. Um. And, and, and you know, Oprah had us on, and, and we were like, "Wouldn't it be funny if someone jumped on this couch?" <laughs> um, and, 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 and the audience said, yeah. "Maybe." <laughs> but, then, but, then, but then we we sat there and said, "I'm jumping on a couch. I'm jumping on a couch." And that room, Gail and Gail, <laughs> Oprah's friend. Yeah. Was one of two gales in that room. The other <laughs> was gales of laughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we we both remember it. Remember when we went on Ellen and we just silently sat there staring at her, giving her one of Paddington's cold hard stares, yeah. saying, uh, "I am and- dancing through the aisles now. <laughs> I am dancing through the aisles. It is very charming. It is very very charming." And I little am did we know. And little did we know that since, since information has since come out that looking at Ellen's eyes as her kryptonite, there's legislation against it, which explains why she very quickly physically shriveled into like a Benjamin Button old baby while streaking Porsche, Porsche. Uh, it was, it was, it was, but a lot of that has been on the name of us inventing this form. Yeah. And I was, I was looking up some of my favorite food, uh, which, you know, I love small ovoid things, M&Ms, Snifters, Maltesers. Mm -hmm. And I thought like, what is the savory version of this? A bean. 
And so I was like, hey, that'd be funny. I could be Mr. Bean. And I put that in Google. No one else has thought of this. And uh, are you sitting down? Uh, yes, I am. People have been doing funny things with their bodies for hundreds, if not thousands of years. What? And some of them, because you know how we've always had this thought, like, what if the best way to express the slapstick is to describe it on podcast out loud? And we've always thought there must be a better way. Maybe you have. I I was pretty sure this was the, the, the perfect way to do it. Well, I'm an optimist, you're a pessimist, you know? I always think there's more, and you always hope for less. Yeah. And there are, you know, films? Like My Dinner with Andre. Yeah. Or The Conversation. Yeah, or, or uh, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a scene where they sit at dinner and have, a, and have a conversation about it. Yeah, those are the four films. Yeah. People have done slapstick and filmed it and they don't even des- describe it and it is i've <sighs> i just don't know how we've got i think people have been laughing at us and if there's one thing about slapstick it's that it's not to be laughed at <laughs> so i've chosen out two examples of this so we've got a mea culpa you know, mm. we I, I so I've chosen the two best examples of slapstick that exist: <laughs> Playtime by Jacques Tati, which is a bit it's it's hipster in Indiki, New York. Every single and, time, I, I, I think like each of the last four episodes, you 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 you've always said Sinindiki, where when it is Sinindiki. Eh. I know what I mean. Schenectady. Schenectady is the place. No, the place is Schenectady. And the thing is Schenectady. Yes. I think that's what I'm saying. Schenectady, New York. Yeah. That's the title of the film. Yes, now you've said it correct. Usually you say Schenectady. Oh, yeah. That sounds like something I would do. (laughs) Um... Uh, but it's a, it's a kind of funny speech I do. Uh, and so, Finn, I propose that we shift a bit. Because do you know what's a bit like audio describing slapstick? What? Doing, doing a podcast where we watch one film from the BFI's Top 100 list, like Playtime by Jacques Tati. Okay. And, and, a, and a badly reviewed film... Or, or like mixed film that is like it in some way, uh, and I propose we do uh, 1998 being the ultimate disaster movie. 97. Yeah. Oh. The, the year I was a born. Fi- yeah, a film I own the screenplay book of. <laughs> uh, what? How do you feel about that? Luckily, we both watched. Well, I watched both films all the way through. Yeah. 
Did you? Uh, uh, there is uh, nothing compelling to tell the truth here, so yes, I did. I watched all of them, and, and there's uh, no one who can uh, deny that I did that. So, okay, cool. So you're good to take uh, doing the synopsis of all of being the ultimate disaster movie for Yes. Us? I, unfortunately... Www.wikipedia.com slash theme First off, it's a .org, and second, you want to put in at the beginning. No, I'm doing it in French. Wee wee. Well, like, you could do it, like, we can do it twice. You can do it once in French and once in English, like Tati did with Playtime, um, or the way the way he shot uh, the film before Monsieur Hulot's Holiday in both color and black and white. As I was saying, luckily we've both watched all of them, mm. and so uh, uh, doing that pivot won't actually be that hard. But like, how do you feel about that? I know this is a joint business venture. Sure, yeah, sounds good. Uh, okay, great. Uh, and I'm just like, uh, uh, a Judithet. Yeah. That's the one. Anyway, uh, which is the first kind of, uh, that we'll talk about it in a tick. Right. Um, sorry, uh, I just want to say before we go into the intro that doing this bit before we go into your intro. I just realized doing this bit that my name being Yuthishai and you're, you being Finn San Nicholas is a lot more appropriate to a slapstick <laughs> duo <Yeah, no. laughs> than a at times semi-serious film analysis <laughs> podcast. Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a crudely reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. This week we watched number 47 on the side and sound list, Playtime, Jacques Tati's impossibly ambitious and expertly choreographed modern slapstick. Our second film this week is Bean, the ultimate disaster movie, a, uh, a terrifying look inside the mind of, uh, one of one of history's greatest criminals. Playtime is your first Tati. It is, yeah. Which is a real, oh man, skipping weed straight to heroin <laughs> scenario, you know? It's like I have taken two drugs in my life, uh, baby aspirin and oxycodone. <laughs> um, uh, do you know much about him? Uh, not Really, I, 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 I know that he had this. I, I know that he had this character, Monsieur Hulot, that he did for like over twenty years in in like five different uh, movies. It is like all things about Tati more complicated yeah. than that. 
Um, Because, yeah, he directed roughly, like, even how many, you know, Letterboxd has him as directing eight films. Yeah. First generation Frenchman, Tati Chef, uh, from, I believe, a Russian family. Right. He worked a bunch of kind of normally jobs. Uh, but he loved sports, and he slowly began to work up uh, this routine where he did impressions of people playing sports. Right. Uh, he would be both the tennis racket, the ball, and the person swinging it. He was the goal and the goalkeeper. Uh, and, and he built that up and up until he was selling out theatres uh, uh in France, uh, visiting the world where he met some success. Uh, he kind of had, he had some weird, you know, uh, in his personal life is not horrific. It seems, but it is like there's a period of time where he was kind of persona non grata in the, the French comedy scene. Right. Um, because, because he, uh, met a woman, fell in love, uh, co-created a child with her and then was like uh bye and until he died really kind of denied that happening okay um and and the whole community was like nah fuck you um but but he his popularity grew and grew he he appeared uh in a couple of other films he was uh if the main clown in l'enfant du paradis if that he was the second choice for that Okay. Um, and, and but then he started uh, directing films, um, and, and like it's just good to do this kind of early on because playtime, as much as it is, uh, Letterbox has him with eight films, and playtime is the fifth, mm. so it doesn't feel like it's his last. Yeah. But it kind of is. It's definitely his magnum opus in a very literal way. But like her, his, the first thing he did was was a short called School for Postmen, which uh, uh, was adapted into and expanded into Jour de Fête, which was his first feature, um, where he plays a mailman who wants to get real good at delivering the mail real fast. Uh, and uh, it was going to be the first film in France ever shot in colour. Okay. Um, but he was like, I don't think this colour process works. Uh, so he shot simultaneously in colour and black and white, which was a good bet because it was the experimental colour process didn't work. Yeah. It was only finally fixed in the 90s, many, many, like more than a decade after his death. Yeah. You, could, you could not see that film in colour. Uh, and that film is, this early kind of movement of his work is, is set in this idyllic idea of like small town France. Where where everyone's a bit quirky, everyone gets along, everyone's a character, and and, and life moves in this kind of slow, uh, and elliptical, and charming this curved way. And after that, he then made Monsieur Hulot's Holiday, um, which introduced Monsieur Hulot, 
who goes on holiday to a seaside resort uh, in France and, and silly stuff happens. Yeah, and no one would ever have that idea again of sending a slapstick comedy character to a seaside resort in France. Never. He was the first it's of a It's just last. not happened. It's crazy because it's such a good idea. Yeah. Like, we did it because our first episode was us being like, we are getting on the plane to France. Yeah. We are having trouble understanding the French. Uh, remember that bit when you were like, the cloche is revealed from the dish and there are snails on it. I raised my eyebrows like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, it, I, was, it was hilarious. I, I mainly remember the, uh, the, 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 the 17 hours of screaming due to my, uh, my terrible fear of flying. Do you really fear flying? No. no. Oh, okay, but, cool, sweet but, The character of Thin Sound Nicholas, terrified of flying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, not, I'm just saying it would not be surprising if you were. I know people who are afraid of flying and they are all to a man uh, cowards and i have no respect for them <laughs> yeah but also finn mm -hmm. you are a coward sure like a lot of your sure but i'm a different sort of coward <laughs> i'm afraid of real stuff like talking to people not not plane crashes which are very very rare and aren't that big a problem like, like talking to people happens all the time Almost unavoidable, terrifying. From my, from my understanding, if you only read Wikipedia pages about plane crashes, plane crashes happen all the time. <laughs> it's like the only thing on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should start doing that. Um, and yeah, Monsieur Hulot's holiday is, uh, oh, like. Uh, Jules de Fet, Monsieur Hulot's Holiday, Mon Oncle and Playtime are four of the best comedy films ever made. Uh, 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 genuine high watermarks, Norma mm. MacDonald good comedy. Yeah. Uh, and if you like having fun, you should check them out. Um, but if you have to, if I had to pick one, you know, if you're like, only one to the, I would say Monsieur Hulot's Holiday. Because Jules de Fet is... Good fun, yeah. but it doesn't quite feel all the way him yet. Right, there, there's yeah. a lot of pace. There is by far and away the most talking, not counting Parade, which we'll get to, um, the most talking uh, in any of his films. So it kind of feels like a slightly different thing, like in the slightly. You can see him playing with the established rules more, whereas Monsieur Hulot's Holiday which is this kind of sun-drenched and, and beautifully lazy just escalation of incidents where, where Tati turns his camera onto rooms full of people, beaches full of people, and let, let or, or, and, and lets jokes emerge. Like, the image from it that I always remember is that outside the restaurant at the resort... There's like a candy stall, you know, where a guy has ice creams yeah. and he has this like, I think it's like mochi or taffy, like sweet, soft stuff that he's stretching by hand. He just leaves it on a spike and it stretches down, almost touching the, almost touching the table. Then he grabs it and he puts it back up on the top. And there's the sequence of Hulot becoming hypnotized by it. 
and you are hypnotized by it and it is just and this is maybe like five to ten seconds long of him becoming more and more anxious as it looks like it's going to touch the table (laughs) but then the guy grabs it and puts it up and it, it just feels like that it feels like meeting people watching things it's where uh and just it, there's a real kindness to it and that it, it it it's just about letting people be be funny and move who low is this character who is has this insane walk this pipe this hat but he's not he's not an idiot no He's just someone who happens to get into scrapes. Yeah. Uh, He's not a malevolent force. In playtime, he seems like more of like an innocent than anything else. But also he is like an older man who is not fully kept up with how the world works now. Well, yeah. And and everything seems new to him, Mm. but it's not like new in the way that like Mr. Bean... Like, there's an episode of the Mr. Bean animated series that makes it canon that he's literally an alien from outer space. Right. Like, uh, as we will discuss at length and from your intro, like, Mr. Bean is a sociopathic criminal yeah. who goes around he's, endangering and hurting yeah, he, he's, people. He's a, he's, a, he's a bad guy who sucks. More people get injured during any given episode of Mr. Bean than get injured in all of Blackadder Goes Forth, which takes place during World War One. <laughs> Like, um, I'm not sure if that's <laughs> good joke. <laughs> um, I was going to say I'm not sure if that's true, which is just an incredible like I'm actually yeah. <laughs> a joke. Um, <laughs> but um, but he, it's like it's like oh, when you see a new. Uh, I was going to say like a new phone or like a new kind of water bottle yeah. you're like huh it's incredible you can really work out what the two things within my field of vision in that moment were yeah I've got a phone yeah I've got a water bottle uh, come for me watch the I- new iPhone announcement oh. they can shoot pro res oh. that's a-, a spicy but can it shoot bullets yet I mean, I could definitely use, like, Signal or Wicker to find a Hitman. I mean, Hitmen don't really exist, right? That's... I don't know. Look. I can can neither confirm nor deny whether Hitmen exist. But I'll tell you, I did watch Possessor again recently, and... (laughs) Famous documentary, right up there with uh, close close up in how it recreates the facts of the real world. Yeah. Possessor. Oh man, what a film! I I um, I, I I forgot what happened about Charles Head at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> man, see see that again. Rough rough stuff. I I really. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to be on the poster. I want a possessor 4K steelbook that's possessor uncut. Then in quotes, I forgot what happened to that child's head at the end. Rough. Five stars. Shite and sound. Um, and it was that finished in the top ten of our films it, it did, last yeah. year? I think. Yeah. Anyway. Uh. Uh. 
but um yeah monsieur hulot's holiday really kind of crystallizes that thing and, and really shows his his love for a rustic idea of what was even then the past like he is uh and, and so there are many bits of it that are parodically french and like they're deliberately parodically french right, it's yeah. a fucking comedy but like a bunch of teens in striped shirt striped shirts and berets smoking and talking about Ella Fitzgerald like this idea of frenchness that is both that he clearly both loves and mocks mm. um and it's great he followed that up with um how much later Hulot's holiday was 53 mononcle was five years later in 58 yeah. and had the return of Monsieur Hulot as the uncle of this this younger kid. And it, it is the way that playtime is, it's about the encroachment of modernism and more specifically like playtime about like this idea that there is an old, beautiful Paris, this arrondissement of a of age and time that is being replaced and that is cold and hard and cynical. And like it, it, it's great, but you can see him kind of learn, leaning into um monomania. That that's the film where you can really start him see that's the film where he first like totally astutes rejects close ups. Um, where it's all in these long exterior shots. It's where he starts really leaning into to sound. I mean, there's some sound in Monsieur Hulot's Holiday yeah. and kind of see it. But, but in many ways, it's still a traditional kind of slapstick comedy. And then after that, he spent nine years uh, building a city and bankrupting himself to shoot on 70 mil film uh, a kind of all, an all non-narrative Where's Wally film about how Paris is being uh, invaded by robots, metaphorically. And, and, and Americans. Are, and Americans. Um, uh, which, which is Playtime, which we'll talk about. Uh, and that and playtime is, I think, like not to not to eat our our own lunch later, but like it's a fucking crazy <laughs> film. <laughs> like what is like I just don't uh, uh, like for all of it. Yeah, no. Then he made playtime, and we we're about to discuss that in depth. Then he made traffic, yep. which uh, which which, I'm, a, which I'm going to watch because it came out in 1971. That's one of the it's one of my 1971 right. films I'm going to do. But it was made for TV. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got a bunch of TV, made for TV stuff on there. Got uh, got Duel. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, the Steven Spielberg episode of Columbo. Uh, got uh, there's, there's some other stuff on there. For its entire run, Columbo played in a TV movie slot. It, it was always it was always a Columbo was always a movie. Every single episode counts as a movie. But but only like, like but only like three of them are on are on Letterbox, which is uh, annoying. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about Playtime, but Playtime came out uh, and was um, a massive financial disaster um, uh, in terms of the box office, yeah. which is uh, understandable, especially considering that he would not strike 35mm or mono prints of it. So, which uh, heavily uh, so, so it was like only playing in, in 70mm. 
Yeah. Was it, was it like a roadshow thing? I don't know much more detail than that on playtime, oh, okay. but I kind uh, I think it got a release. Uh, and it was when it was released in America, where they did reduce it to 35 and cut it down, it also failed there. Both times praised by critics. Because right, yeah. this is a film designed to be praised by critics. <laughs> but that was... It was a fucking low point. He was genuinely, and not, it, it, it very much seems like, you know, when people are like, oh, I lost everything after that film failed. Yeah. You're like, nah, you couldn't get your next film made immediately. You still had your $10 million house. Mm. It, it, it really, like, he was in deep, deep personal debt. He could not pay his taxes, mm. so they came after him. Yeah, he had to move into a restaurant. And Traffic, he, yeah, he made for TV. And it is, you can feel him straining against a reduced budget. Okay. And you can also feel him kind of churning something out. It is not by any means bad. Um, uh, uh, all the films we've discussed until now are very, very good films. Mm. Like, it, like, Four or five star excellent films. But like Traffic is someone being like, I kind of, fuck, I need to do fucking something. I need some fucking money. And then uh, the two films that come after that, Parade is kind of him just shooting one night at a circus. Okay. Including him doing some Hulu material and other people doing some acts and stuff. But it's it's an interesting cultural relic, but it's not really a film. Right, yeah. You yeah. know? And it And then after that there's a Forza Bastia seventy eight, which is like a sports documentary he started making uh, as a favor and didn't finish uh uh, so someone, so his daughter helped uh, and, you know, it's mm. just not like it's, you know, yeah. like how, uh, and like the question about how many Hulu is in, because kind of like canonically there's the middle, it's, it's the middle four mm. uh, in that, yeah, George Fett, uh, he's, he's a postman who you can kind of see reflected, but Hulu, Mononcle, Playtime, and Traffic. And, like, he's in bits of Parade. But, yeah, the the reason I'm dwelling on this is a lot of people ascribe, say, in, in the way that there is a debate as to whether Chaplin is the tramp uh, in The Great Dictator, where, like, the real answer is kind of like he's playing the tramp, but it's not a tramp film right, yeah, yeah. in the way that Modern Lights is. Like, I don't think you can really like, because Mononcle, no, no, well, Mononcle being Hulu is like very specifically, he's a character, he's not a, he's not a vector the way the tramp is or the way that Mr. Bean is. Like, Hulu is someone with an interiority and a life. Yeah. And so, and like, so Hulu wouldn't be a postman. And, and like, that is the, th- like, the thing I want to dwell in out of all of this, the thing that unites all of his work is his love of the specificity of humanity. And the way that he celebrates that is by becoming very good at replicating it and then heightening it 1% until it's funny. 
You know, it's <clears throat> just, it's just, it's like, it, it, it's, it's all just a, like, it's all absurd, but it's only just a little, yeah. you know, it's only a step away from us. Oh uh, yeah, no, but like Tati uh, is incredible and everyone should watch all of his films and, uh, and the key thing to understand is you don't don't watch them with subtitles. You don't really, not ex- with the exception of Jude Fett, you don't need to understand what people are saying. Anyway, so what was it like since seeing Playtime for the first? Like, talk me through it. I mean, tell me about this film. It, it's I think for most people, the, 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 this movie will like open pretty slowly. But like I've seen Love Diaz films before, so I, I, I can I can I can handle that. But, but, yeah. but like it, yeah, it was yeah. it was kind of weird to see what is a to to, to like see something that I've been told is a slapstick comedy open like a Michael Haneke movie. It's just these like static shots of European people walking around and kind of looking bored. Yeah, that does. There's a sense of surveillance. Yeah, yeah to it these long very open landscape shots which almost the whole film is in in this kind of luxurious 70 mil in deep focus like they're they're more like paintings than they are like films Mm. you know yeah so it it it, it, so it it, uh uh, the the it's it's it starts off in an airport a and an airport which is uh, like all the other buildings of this movie uh, like uh, uh, crazy and hyper modernist, I- I- everything is like cubicles, yeah. and the the like floor is all like metal. Is like metal panels and stuff, and everything is shiny. Yeah. And uh, this film doesn't so much have a score as it has the noise of people walking on the yeah. floor. Like that, you hear more footsteps in this film than you do words. Oh, that's probably yeah, true yeah, of every I, film, I think but you know what I mean. Movies. But like the footsteps are more prominent yeah. and important. Yes. The first gag in the film is about how people's footsteps change sound on different surfaces mm. going in and out of the airport and things like that. Uh, but yeah, it's all these rigid straight mm. lines, all these cubicles. Yeah. The way that people move about in this movie is like closer to how like ants move when, when you're looking at them from, from above than like how humans move when they're in groups well, together. Well, f- people flock and scurry mm. in this film. People, yeah, it is that sense of, that we talked about with Yi Yi, the sense of like seething humanity that, that people are, are not individuals, they are parts of masses. Yeah, like like and and all restricted by these, like because the central conflict of this film, which doesn't really have a protagonist, it has two leads, but they drift in and out, and, and they have a plot probably just because someone was like, "Yeah, I'll give you uh, ten thousand francs, George. You just got to give me a love story." Mm. And he was like, I will give you the most elliptical one you have ever seen. You will give her a scar at the end of it. Uh, and that is all a wee-wee. Um, they do but, a dance for maybe two seconds. But the real conflict of this film is between straight lines and curves. Mm. Uh, in the, this modernist world that is all 
glass and steel and restrictions and rules mm. and noise and etiquette and, and like Hulo, the important thing to know is he has a silly walk and that silly walk forces him into this constant curving loop. Mm. He never stands up straight. He's a disruptive force and how we follow and identify characters is by how straight or how curved they are, mm. both in profile and in movement and how those things change. Um, and like, yeah, this, this opening five minutes of just looking at an airport and there being a dozen people in the frame at any time and it becomes like, it's a where's Wally book yeah. because there are jokes all over the place. But you have to watch and like pick, and, and this is not a film. Is this is an incredibly directed film, but it is not a film that directs you. No, which is why I think it's always done incredibly well with critics, mm. and that this is a film that is designed to be poured over. Like I can understand, like I could understand someone doing a PhD in this, like how you, like if you got into this film and really diagrammed shit. Like, you would find real richness. Like, yeah. I could understand watching this film ten times and you'd see new things. But that makes it really... It is hard to express how strange this film is. Because it does feel kind of like a film of establishing shots, or... or yeah, like... it, it is... Yeah, it, it is, it's, it's, it's two hours of slapstick with no real plot but it's slapstick but doesn't call attention to itself like mr bean always does it's a sort of like minimalist slapstick he creates these like very minimalist frames where the camera is static and then within that he'll have like 12 to 150 people all doing fairly minimal stuff but then when everyone is together in the frame, it becomes this like roiling mess within which there are a like uncountable number of potential jokes yeah, and it feels that point like it, it's weird because yeah, I, when I was watching it last night, bro, I was like, I was like, do you want to watch this? I can't really describe it to you, and I don't think you will like it. <laughs> and she was like, just show me the best bits, and I had to be like, this is like probably the best comedy film that you could not pick best bits mm. out of. Like the best example is like. You could do the whole restaurant sequence, but yeah. that's fifty minutes yes, long. <laughs> like that's a it's that's a film in and of itself. Mm. Um, uh, uh, which I'm sure we will speak about a lot. And so then I showed her the beginning, and she was like, "Oh, it's just video art. It should just be in a museum. It is it because it does like part of the tone of it now is." is when you see video art that is, like, to pick at random, like, just to make something up at random, like, you know, if you made a film that was just shots uh, of the rain in a gutter for seven hours, yeah. like, it kind of had, like, it has that kind of a vibe to yeah, it. Yeah, if, yeah. If it, 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 it just doesn't... It's a film from another planet. It doesn't feel real. But yeah, so a group of American tourists arrive. Uh, 
speaking some or quite a lot of English, depending on whether you watch the version that was dubbed. The whole film was dubbed, or pr like some sources say, it was no sound was ever recorded on set. And some sources say some was, but it's almost entirely overdubbed. And so Tati prepared two versions at that time in English and French. So you can watch either version and they're equally kind of legitimate. Uh, very little changes, though. So, and this, like, this group of American tourists is kind of our protagonist, right? Yeah, so, sort of. They are the like, first people we, we follow. Until their plane lands, it, it's just the surveillance, like establishing shots of the inside of, of the airport. When the Americans come through the, the arrival section, that's when the camera starts to move. We move out of that first room, and yeah, that's when the film like allows itself to start. Yeah, and, and it does feel very much like like to trace a circle... You just pick any point and follow it like it is. There is a sense that that Tati could have kind of picked anyone in this world and followed mm. them. There's this sense of, of this being this mass organism. Like It helps that he built Tativel. These two big buildings full of things, a working elevator. But there is a sense that like if you could step into the film, and go up a floor or down a floor or follow someone else, the film would still be happening, mm. you know? And so these people just happen, these tourists just happen to be our leads, or whatever, you know, viewpoint. Yeah, and so when the tourists, uh, uh, when you see them for the first time, there is a man with them who begins a running gag in the movie of there being people who are dressed like Monsieur Hulot, but are not Monsieur Hulot. In most scenes, there's a guy with a hat and a coat and an umbrella who will be like in the back of frame or in the middle of a group of people. And as someone who had never seen one of these movies before, it takes you a while to figure out, okay, is it this guy? Oh no, okay, there's another, there's another one over there now, is it, is it him? When you just yeah. know the like, iconography of the character, it is like very confusing. Yeah. I mean, as the film goes along, that becomes more, more and more of like an explicit thing until there's like a guy who's being bedeviled by the fact that everyone he talks to, he's looking for Monsieur Hulot, but he just cannot seem to find him amongst the sea of people who look like Monsieur Hulot. Well, and what, especially early on, what I think Tati is doing is training you to search mm -hmm. the frame. Um, but yeah, it is, there is, if there, of the, I mean, there's one real key theme to this film, which is a slightly NIMBY-ish, everything's too metal these yeah. days, you know? People don't care about the Eiffel Tower, um, but is also like his rejection of his star persona. Like Hulo is in this film, but is deliberately kind of subjugated yeah. and, and restricted throughout. And like there is, yeah, he's going to meet someone at an office building and he is constantly forced to wait and do nothing. And like, this is the gag. Whereas, like, where where the, the the man in the lobby who meets him is like, no, 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 wait, you can't do anything. And he presses all these buttons on this hilarious display. Then there's this very long hallway. And Hulo, and you get this sense of, like, you're like, oh, what the fuck is Hulo going to, that's a long hallway. There's some pranks going to happen in there. But it's like, 
should I go? No, you you wait. And the and the joke is that the guy comes all like over like a minute of just a man approach. Yeah, and, and Hulu keeps on trying to stand up, but the doorman's like, no, sit down, relax. Every single time. Yeah, but with and it, just with impeccable timing on all, all behalfs, yeah. it, it's great. But there is also just very much a sense of like, oh, you you want a Hulu, uh, Monsieur Hulu mm-hmm. film? I'm gonna give you one where he is the thing you don't care where he is the thing you don't laugh at he is the thing you don't care yeah. about after the scene where the guy walks down the hallway this guy takes him into a different waiting room a, a slightly bigger waiting room and then immediately leaves him again and all all Lolo can do is just sit on these kind of uh, these like uh, modern uh, two squishy chairs there are just like six of them throughout the room and he, he like tests out each one of them and they're all just too squishy for him and so he moves to the next one yep. and and they all make hilarious funny yeah. noises this is where the the film reveals that it is slapstick of noise mm. Like, so, so much of it is just about how, like, different doors make slightly different noises or how two people sitting on the same thing make slightly different noises. But, yeah, he, 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 Goldilocks and the three bears around, around these couches for quite a while. And eventually the guy who he's waiting for just doesn't come back. So he, he accidentally finds his way in, into the rest of the building and has, like, a little adventure around this office building. Just, be, just being sort of uh, uh, con- confused by things. And he eventually slips from the office building in these massive cubicles. We get several shots from high mm. up to start this visual motif of where you're watching like four or five different films, each inside a different cubicle with different kind of simultaneous, unsynchronized or syncopated action that is both unique and connected occurs. There was a fantastic gag where there was a guy in one of the cubicles who, uh, who, who needs some information about, uh, about the like, company's revenue or whatever. He picks up the phone and makes a call and that, that phone call is picked up by a guy in one of the other cubicles and then to give information that the first guy needs, the second guy hangs up the phone, walks out of his cubicle, and around to a uh, to a filing cabinet which is which is attached to the outside of the first guy's cubicle. Looks through the files, finds what he's looking for, walks all the way back to his cubicle, picks up the phone, calls the first guy again, tells him the amount of money, and then that first guy hangs up the phone and shouts the amount of money at his secretary. Oh, it's hmm. so good. <laughs> and as much as it is very close to being kids look at their phones too much (laughs) that the specificity and detail and like the sense that it's kind of like these are just what the system does to people and never feels like there's never like these are people that move like ants but they're still Mm. people it's not it's not judging them it is judging the system they are within, you know? Yeah, so then he leaves the office building and uh, gets and gets caught in a sales conference for useless uh, technological advances in, in, in like, homewares. He gets to see all, all, the, all, all the latest inventions, like uh, 
throw out Greek style, which sells their Grecian columns, which are, when, you, when you push a button, uh, the top opens and it turns out uh, they're uh, rubbish bins. Or there's another company which makes uh, doors that you can slam quietly. Slam your in doors golden in silence. golden silence. <laughs> and it's just like the... And there are like... I'm sure if you went through, there are, there are dozens of yeah. things like this. There are many that are just details in the background. There is a company that makes push brooms that have electric headlights on, on, on the front of them so you can see where you're sweeping. He gets stuck in here for like 10 or 15 minutes and he's repeatedly like handed pamphlets or he, he gets his identity mistaken with another one of the people wearing the same hat and coat as him. And he, and he just like yeah. experiences all, all of these uh, totally useless technological innovations. But I think like the Greek column, which turns out to be a trash can, is like one of the more pointed jokes in the film. Whereas like here, yeah. here is like the apex of what is you know considered Western civilization and like and like Western art and this this this, this incredible like legacy of of like sculpture and religion and politics and now it's a novelty bin. And also with like the one I always think about is Slam Your Door mm. in Golden in Golden Silence, which where they they keep talking about. Look at this; it looks like wood, yeah. but it's not. And they knock on it, and it makes no noise. And like it's it's a hundred percent asbestos. You you can just tell. <laughs> and it is and like the be- the thing I love about that joke is that it it's so clearly kind. It, it's 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 Alan Partridge pitching monkey <laughs> tennis. And that you absolutely, that like within one pitch, within one moment, you understand the whole, the thinking of everyone involved. And you understand the emptiness Mm. of everyone involved. Like the the point, like it is, as much as these seem like slapstick ideas, as much as like there is a clear laughter vector through their Grecian columns that are open top bins, flip open bins. It is also like, oh no, that's like, that's precisely the yes, right yeah. thing. Like, like Adam Sandler selling novelty plunges and punch drunk love. It is like, yeah, no, mm. that is. Or, yeah, that's or just, Adam Sandler like selling we novelty furbies so and uncut gems. Yeah. To. Equally Adam Sandler yeah. films. I just like I just love Punch Drunk Love. And I think Uncut Gems is good. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. good. Some 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 someday you you you're gonna save it to one of the safeties and oh jo- Josh will fight you. Yeah, and and then I can be like, okay. You fighting me, that's fine. You lost the moral high ground when you cast your brother as a, as a handicapped person for a whole film. Uh, I'm not, like, I just, yeah, anyway. It's the no, 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 yeah, that, 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 That's what I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the legacy around it rather than that specific implementation. Hmm. Anyway, playtime. Uh, and this is the point where, and he moves out of this, uh, he moves through these displays Hulot does. 
um, and then into like a show floor for offices like the other offices. Right, yeah. So he does. He enters like a simulacra of what he is already in, and like this is the point. I've seen this film three times. I saw it in the cinema once, which is as you'd expect the way to see it. Um, but uh, is is the point in my experience where you're like, how long have I been watching this? Has this been? 10 minutes has this been is the film almost over and you realize how well it is training you if you sit with it and give it attention Mm. to just kind of like ooze right into it and to like tune right into it but like how did you I I just I know there are so many stories of people just really struggling to watch this film because in many ways because it is so open that it rejects input. Like, how was it? How was it to what? Oh, like for you as a as a I mean, first time. It's like there are definitely parts of it where where I think it kind of feels like it is daring you to be bored by it, or like or like daring you like like stop paying attention because yeah because it it will just like this movie will just happily do nothing for quite a while. I'm very okay mm. with movies that just want to do nothing for a while. And I was already like pretty on board with what the movie was doing early on. And so I was willing to to go with it even even when it seemed like it wasn't going anywhere. Be like parts where it kind of isn't going anywhere or, or parts where it is like a bit cold and off-putting, uh, I think all worth it for for the bit on the showroom floor and then that like final sequence in, in a restaurant. Yeah, I think it's mm. all time. Yeah. I think it is the best piece of slapstick in motion picture separating silent Mm. you know buster and and charlie off a little and acknowledging that like there's probably something in jackie chan that's as good if i was more attuned to that after the show floor he is like walking around in the street and he runs into one of his old friends from the army and the guy's like hey come back to my house with me we'll have some scotch or whatever and he goes back to this army buddy's house and this guy is kind of like loud and annoying and uh, wants to show him like home movies of when he was on vacation. And, uh, and, and so he uh, 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 falls over and then, uh, uh, then tries to run out of there. Uh, uh, and, but this whole sequence uh, is, is in a set of four apartments that have... Floor to ceiling yes. windows out onto the street. Yeah, I, I think I think this might be um, my 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 like favorite set in in, in, in the movie is is this apartment building. Yeah, and it entirely shot from mm. the outside. Um, you can always see into at least two yeah. apartments, usually uh, into to more, uh, and they're always like paralleling or 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 commenting on each other. There's there's a lot of people like, and there's quite a lot of like, oh, everyone's just watching yeah. TV. We're all zombies. But he does it so well that you're not, you're not that yeah. mad. Yeah. You know? it, it lo- yeah. It, no, it, it looks, it looks, it looks so incredible. Good. 
I think you could argue that like in the earlier scene in, in the office building where he's looking down at all the cubicles, I think you could argue that, that like that is an example of Mise on a Beam. But like this is even yep. more so where it's just like you have a frame of the film, within that you have like the, the frame of these of these like floor to ceiling windows, and within that you have a TV that people are watching. Yeah, and he's just like you think how many levels deep of watching people watching people watch something that he can like mine out of his movie. Yeah, it, uh, and it just feels, uh, once again, we hit a film where it is like describing this is like, and it's like the tough thing of like, what does this film mm. look like? Because Tati's whole line was like, I, I wanted to shoot it like, I wanted to shoot it in color, but make it look like a black and white mm. film, which makes it sound like it's gray. But what it is is this like muted but lush and and dense aesthetic that's full of like refre- reflections and mess mm. and, and like buzz and these startling pops of color. But even saying that does not capture what it is to look upon this film. Because yeah, then and like nearby. A restaurant is being. Oh, he when he meets up with his friend, his tourists are on the street, uh, and like uh, uh, one of them, Barbara, is trying to take a photo of a flower yeah. seller, which is the only real plants we see, and, and so and there's a lot of like while they're taking photos of all these massive uh, uh, edifices, th- these impersonal steel edifices. Um, Oh, there's a great, and my, maybe my favorite joke in the whole film is that in the trade show where he goes into a, a, rip, a trade floor designed to sell buildings like the one they are in, there are posters on the wall of these buildings in other mm. cities. Which is like Moscow, Budapest, yeah, Morocco. And yeah, yeah. And it is the exact same photo of the same building with very slight changes to the surrounds. And it's just, oh, it's yeah, so good. There's like a fake airline you, you can visit. Is this, it seems like it's set at like a like parody of, of the World's Fair. There's like a building for like each country and you can go there and experience different things. I think mm. so. I'm not right, sure. Yeah. There was a bit where one of the guys walks into the fake flight center and was like, I'd like to have uh, dinner in New York and a breakfast tomorrow in Boston. And yeah, people are booking like experiences, the fake versions of these different countries. Is Boston a, a famous breakfast town? Is that where you get good breakfast? But like Boston beans, <sighs> right? Because um, like, if, if I was going to pick like New York or Boston as like a famous breakfast city, it would be New York would be the famous breakfast city. I'm just looking up Boston Breakfast to check it's not like mafia code for a kind I mean, of murder. It probably is. They, they, they probably talk about it in The Departed. I mean, there are lots of lists of the best places to get breakfast in Boston, but that doesn't mm. really help, which you'd hope for considering it's a city of... Oh. Five million people. Yeah. There you go. Boston, the original team of five million. <laughs> yeah, I believe that is uh, the the Departed. That's my only Boston reference. Hmm. Oh, there must be another film set in Boston. The town, gone baby, gone. That's about it, I think. Good, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, I think I think that's 
I think that's set near Boston. Manchester by the Sea is like in Massachusetts, but not, yeah. but it's not in Boston. I don't think the Boondock Saints, Finn. Oh no! Right, of course, classic Boston movie because they're Irish. Yeah, yeah, and and the Boondock, and, and Boondock Saints, Saints All Saints Day, except for the part where they go to Ireland. That's not that takes place in Ireland, not in Boston. Although oh. the Bostonians would tell you they're the, they're the same thing. We we have we have seen Boston dis- destroyed on this very podcast. When Godzilla oh, and Godzilla Dora. King of Monsters. Yeah. yeah. There's a scene where like Millie Bobby Brown is climbing through the rubble of Wrigley Field or whatever. Fenway Park. Fenway Park, thank you. Wrigley Field's Chicago. I'm sorry, American sports fans. Oh uh, yeah, they're all listening after after uh, uh of course. That whatever we said earlier that made us famous as slapstick podcasters. Yes, so Barbara is is on the street trying to take photos of this flower seller, and it's all very like it's this idea of fetishizing old Paris and real life. Mm. Um, uh, and she meets Monsieur Hulot for a brief moment uh, before, and then Hulot is pulled out of that by the friend, and they go to the apartment. And next to the apartments, uh, a restaurant is being rapidly built. Uh, its walls are still being put up. It sort of seems like it was supposed to open the next week, but a bunch of guests got got the date wrong and just showed up ahead of time. On well, like my like the introductory beat is that there's a guy putting the sign up, painting the sign, um, uh, up a ladder, and someone comes and goes, "What's going on?" And he goes like. Um, oh, it's a restaurant. We open tonight. Would you like a booking? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, and this, like, the thing to know about this restaurant sequence is that, it, yeah, it's 45 minutes long. It's a third of the film. They they filmed it. It has, like, uh, 200 people in it. Like, yeah. so many people. All of that, if you track any individual's action, it will be... Um, You'll be able to follow it, and that's because the way Tati right. made this was that he kind of, like, he had a plan, but he made it up as he went along with everyone there. Well, who was, you know, people arrived, So, but once you'd arrived, you yeah. were there, and then he'd set up the camera, then he'd choreograph it, then they'd film it until it was right. And so they spent months on this sequence, which you right, can absolutely yeah. tell. It is this incredible Swiss watch of all these different bits of slapstick. Five or six things you could be tracking at any one time that are building to moments of slight or massive calamity. And it is like one of those things that could only be made because the person in charge is deeply in debt, very famous and a maniac. Like, like the sense of, oh yeah, like organic precision because it, it never feels like everyone is choreographed, but everyone is absolutely choreographed. All the timing feels like it's just happening, but it is also so clearly things are lining up or not lining up. Uh, check it out, but, but Finn. What happens yes. at this restaurant? It seems pretty normal. 
They're finishing. Oh. They just they're just putting up the walls as as people start to come in. They have not finished uh, gluing down all the tiles on the dance floor yet. Yeah, one gets stuck to a waiter's foot. Another good joke mm. about footsteps. Yeah, no, this place oh, it's a it's a real mess. If buddy Gordon Ramsay could see this. <laughs> okay. he, he would say. He would say, "This is one of my kitchen nightmares." I remember when one of the waiters. <clears throat> is preparing um is preparing his appearance in a mirror holding a plate of fish with lemon on it and he qu- he massages the fish to make it perfect and then uses the massa- the uh, the fish's oils to straighten his bow tie um the idea that you then digitally insert like a whip pan to Gordon Ramsay looking furious <laughs> Oh no! I'm going to cut this. It's a good idea cutting Gordon Ramsay into the into the restaurant in playtime. So this restaurant, this Swiss watch of calamity. Ben, do what you yes. best at and describe some slapstick to me. Oh, there's a drunk guy who uh, keeps falling over. <laughs> oh yeah, he gets thrown out of the bar repeatedly. But right at the entrance to a the bar, there's a neon sign which is like a flashing spiral which turns into an arrow pointing inside. And every time he gets thrown out, he looks up at the sign and it flashes. It goes on a spiral. He kind of moves his head around like a spiral, and then he pulls the arrow straight back inside again. Yep. There are a bunch of problems with the wait star. There is a waiter who is uh, who is only interested in hit, in hitting on women in the most oblique way possible. Where every time he walks up to a table, he just sort of like touches his hair part and and looks at the woman at the table and then moves on. And uh, everyone finds this uh, scandalous. It's very. I'm not sure if that's a cultural reference. I'm not understanding or Jacques Tati yeah. being bizarre. But it is very, there's a real Crispin Glover energy to this guy. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, there, there is uh, uh, there's a there's a la- there's a loud American guy who uh, uh, bribes a waiter to get a uh, to 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 get access to a to get access to a reserved table. Yeah. Uh, all, all of the seats in a restaurant. Uh, uh, seem incredibly dangerous and uh, uh, and are injuring uh, all the uh, customers and ruining their clothes. Um, there's a lot of uh, on a, one of the waiters seems to be like a twelve year old boy who is uh, yep. perpetually startled and terrified, which is um, uh, oh, it's. Uh, hilarious. Uh, Hulo arrives uh, and accidentally breaks the glass door. Um, and yeah. so... Th- um, because the, the, uh, the, the, the doorman at a restaurant is another one of his old army buddies. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, after, after Hulo left the first army buddy's house, he went to a like, corner drugstore to get a disappointing coffee. And then while he was there, the doorman from a restaurant is sent to get something from a drugstore and sees yeah. him. I was like, hey, I work at this nightclub now. Come back with me. You'll be my guest. And Ulo really isn't interested. And so he, he, he's like trying to pull away while the doorman is trying to bring him through the door. And eventually he bangs his head into the glass door and shatters it everywhere. 
Yeah, and then of course the doorman then continues to open the glass door for people by holding the handle and pretending it's there. His title is literalized. He becomes a man who is a door. Oh, I only just got... Oh, it's good, good one, Jacques, and good one, good catch, yeah. Ben. Um, oh, yeah, there, 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 there are, there's a, a smattering of comedy in the drugstore. There, there's a lot of quite mm. good... Every, everything's going a little wrong. There are lots of beats about, you know, yeah. waiters clattering into each other, uh, food being cooked wrong, but it all builds and builds. People walking into walls. And it all builds. There, 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 are, there, are, there are too many people now, and so they've, they've run out of food. Yeah, and it builds and builds. What does mm. it build to? It builds to a jazz band taking the stage and uh, uh, unleashing some, some pretty hot jazz. Uh, I, I liked that a lot when, when, when the jazz band started up. Uh, a bit and... of the ceiling starts to collapse. Well, yeah, yeah. So after like 10 minutes of this jazz band playing and everyone's up on the dance floor, uh, this loud American guy is jumping up and down to try and grab, it might be like an orange stuck to, to the ceiling or something, yeah. but he's too short so he can't get it. And then Ulo comes along and, he, and he's like, oh, don't worry, I'll get it. He jumps up, grabs it, pulls it down, and uh, pulls a large portion of the ceiling down with him. Uh, at this point, the jazz band quits. Uh, they're like, this is bullshit. This sucks. We are not getting hazard paid. It is not worth our time to have the ceiling maybe fall on us. Yeah. When this part of a roof falls down, it, 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 cr- it creates like a sealed off area at, 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 the, at, the, at the back of the... Uh, at the back of a restaurant, which the loud American guy then announces is uh, is 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 his new bistro that he owns, and and starts and starts like uh, and starts bringing uh, uh, starts bringing uh, starts bringing select uh, uh, restaurant patrons into his new uh, private bistro, and this is sort of the point where everyone in this restaurant sort of starts to come together and pay attention to each other rather than just themselves and the like person they're with. It, it becomes like more of a community who are all like bonded by the fact that all of this crazy shit is happening around them and, and the restaurant that they're in like uh, sucks and is breaking. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like, I, I, the, 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 the thing that this scene doesn't do, which I really wanted it to. And I think I, I and I think hurts the movie, but it doesn't do it. Is, is that like, even though this scene is about like all these people kind of coming together and recognizing common humanity and, and like having fun and stuff, it is only the rich people and the American tourists. It is yeah. never white star. They are always on the edges. And I wish this part of the film had ended with the like breaking down of, of the like, uh, of, of the like class separations as, as, as well as, the like other separations that are breaking down. Well, I think it it, it is worth noting and then moving on from the fact that like the the era uh, of France, which Tati is so nakedly nostalgic for, is is transparently one based, uh, fueled and powered by a rigid class system. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, things start getting loose. They start dancing up a storm. Hulo and Barbara dance together a little bit. There, there's a yeah. There's a there's a there's a good sequence of people talking about. Oh, look at all these people dancing like maniacs. He's a minister of health. He runs the big car company. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. 
they're all equally middle and upper class. Um, mm. And they they party through the night. Uh, yeah, and when it gets to the next morning, they're all kicked out of a restaurant. A bunch of them go back to the drugstore to, you know, get more coffee. And uh, the loud American guy buys coffee for everyone. Benulo and Barbara, they, they leave again. They take a, they take a walk through the city. Uh, he buys her a scarf, and then she has to get on a bus and, uh, and uh, go back to the airport. Yeah, and they uh, and the bus winds through this uh, uh, kind of ballet of traffic, which is kind yeah. of continuing his uh, uh, Tati's films. Kind of, I think, accidentally presage each other in the the this 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 the short, uh, yeah, ballet of gridlock is very much what traffic is about. Um, and Mon Uncle ends with with people lost in a big soulless city, uh, the way that that um, playtime starts. Mm. Um, it all just kind of drifts away. The one close up we get, or uh, even mid shot, is Barbara on the bus, looking at at, at the scarf, Hulo. Uh, uh, desperately tries to get to her. He has to send someone to break through the system. He's kept um, apart from her by all these, you know, turnstiles and and windows and stuff, kind of reasserting the thing. Yeah. And as her looking at this the square scarf and turning it into a curve, and it's uh, it's, it's real quite it's quite touching to me. IMO. TBH, uh, it's a lo- it's a lovely wee moment. Um, it it doesn't f- like it is so strange as an ending because it feels so much like an ending, and 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 that this film has so resolutely refused to have a beginning or a middle that it kind of stops, like it kind of just walks up to a wall and ceases. Yeah. It is kind of uh, br- bracing, or... <laughs> yeah. But it's it's a great trick, and the fact that there isn't really the... Once they're dancing, there's not really another joke in the film. It no. just kind of wades and drifts to an end, like mm. the 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 film is having a come down after the party, like everyone else, and in a way that is is quite magical and is a feeling I can't really, I don't know another film sequence that feels like this, like this real sense of of drifting, or or. Well, I I can think of one. Go on. Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Oh, okay, right. Yes, the real of sense of drifting in that movie. Yeah, you're right. Um, no, I I only I always shut that film off after the first race, the race in America, and I'm like, yeah, uh, I'm film, can't get any better. This film promised me drifting, and I've not seen any in the first ten minutes. So then I. Uh, run over to my DVD player, I eject the disc, 
uh, I run outside to the bin. I put it in the bin. Then I pick up my my recycling bin and put it in the bigger rubbish bin. And then I take both of those, put them in my car, uh, and then take the car to a crusher. And then I take the crushed cube that was my car, and then I put it on some train tracks. And uh, long story short, th- this. I am in prison. This will be our final podcast together. Because you know that track. Oh, thank God. I've been, I've been looking for an out for over a year now. <laughs> you know that train derailment? The one that revealed that Bruce Willis is unbreakable? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and that killed James McAvoy's mum, making him split? Yeah. Yeah, that was me. That was you? Yeah, first name oh, Mr. Last Name Glass your... was only taking credit. I should have known from your giant crazy hair that you were the person who did that. You're right, you would not know it from my voice or photos of me, but I am Samuel L. Jackson. And <laughs> I know it's uncouth of me, but right now I am doing an impression of Samuel L. Jackson. And this is what he sounds like because he is me. Does this count as black scent? We'll never know. Um, we'll... Yes, it does. <laughs> but I, but I'm not. But I, but I'm, but I'm not. But Finn, I. Yeah. Am I? Are you cancelling me? Am I? Yes. Uh... Okay. So shite or sound playtime, Jacques Tati. You know, I think that playtime. The Jacques Tati film is sound. I think it's. I think it's pretty good. I yeah. It's I like. I think it is obviously sound. And the only resistance I feel to that is that it because it doesn't feel like a, any other film. It feels wrong to compare it to other films. You know, like. Mm. There's not really, I can't, so like, yeah, it's obviously sound, but it doesn't exist on the same spectrum as, as, you know, Night of the Hunter or Brighter Summer Day. This is like Mm. sound the way that like the taste of Tamarillo is sound. (laughs) I don't know. Or like, it is genuinely unique. And not in the 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 common way. You know when people say films are unique, and you see them and you're like, oh no, this isn't unique. It is just taking two other films that wouldn't normally clash and then doing them at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's a what what if it was Pride and Prejudice and also zombies? <laughs> or or what if we took these furious people and inquired as to their fate? Or, um, <laughs> of course, we're like, we, we all love the work of Sever, but what happens when we clash them with X? Well, what, what, what happens is ballistic. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I, I am, I'm, I'm never going to see that movie, but I'm going to think about the, move, the name of that movie. <laughs> yeah, there is no way that film can either be as good or as bad as that title makes it out to be. Yeah. Oh, man. What an incredibly good title for a movie. <laughs> the colon. The Oh, God. Anyway. You're like, start off with a word which is 
not a good movie title by itself. Yeah. Which would never be used as a movie title. No. Then a colon. And then the names of two characters we've never heard of before. And do, and do not but it's care Lucy about. it's Lucy Liu and Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Oh, God. Maybe one day I'll do a double feature of Ballistic X versus Sever and Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Okay. There will be a real, that's a real time, what is it? That's a real Caves of Androzani to Twin Dilemma step in quality, I'm guessing. Because, <laughs> man, Almodovar. Yeah. Now, I, we, I don't, like, because normally play the gag of, like, oh, we agree this is great, everyone agrees. Yeah. But it is, like, part of loving playtime is, like, looking at it and being like, oh, so many people will hate this and are right to, mm. you know? Yeah. Like, it, it, it makes sense that it failed commercially. Yeah. Because this is, like, the comedy version, like, we have talked so many times before of, like, when you like something, you chase it deeper and deeper until you can only get the hard stuff. Like... Comedy is f- generally for tuning out, for relaxation, for yes. having a good time. And this is like, no, I'm going to make comedy eating your vegetables. Yeah. And they will be delicious. The best vegetables ever. Maybe your favorite meal. But you are going to have to chew these heirloom tomatoes, you know? As a comedy experience, playtime feels very similar to when I was, uh, I was, I was hanging out with some, some of my high school friends once and they just smoked a bunch of weed and were like, Hey Finn, let, let's watch, let's watch something funny. And I was like, okay, cool. Have you guys heard of Garth Marenghi's dark place? And I showed them the first, ep- the first episode of Garth Marenghi's dark place. And they're like, Oh, this fucking rules. Yeah. Cause like, that's what people want to watch when they're high. And then I was like, Oh, do you think that's great? Yeah. Uh, you should watch the show Nathan Bali. I mean, I played them. I played them the, the, the first two episodes of Nathan Bali, which is uh, a very funny show, which has uh, uh, almost no real jokes in it, and is uh, mainly just incredibly depressing things happening to bad people. Yeah. And is a show that exists to make you uncomfortable and stress out. And then we got to the end of like the second Nathan Bali episode, and they're just like, "Oh, nah, nah man, <laughs> good guy." Could go back to the hospital show. Yeah, it, that's very much been like, oh, you like having blood, uh, your heart, you like how your heart beats blood? Check this out. And then you get a car battery and throw <laughs> it at this chest. Yeah. Like the Nathan Barley, a show I love, is is best encapsulated by the fact that an unmade script for it was adapted into an episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> like, that's kind of all you need to know. Yeah. But do you, do you want to hear uh, a negative review of Playtime from the social media platform Letterboxd? Sure. Let, let, let's give okay. it a shot. This is from Luke. He watched this film but two days ago and gave it one star. I have to say, no, you don't. <laughs> Free speech is a right, not a compulsion. Um, this was one of my least favorite films I've watched in quite a while. 
how playtime gets so much love baffles me because it has to be the most boring and uninspiring movie I have seen in years. Nothing happens in this film. There is no plot, there is no development, there is no conflict, and above all, there is literally no point. Which is like, this film is all point. Yeah. <laughs> like, this film exists for one man to just be like, go, oh, stop, put down your phones, yeah, go like, look at the sky. Yeah, there are some people I follow on Letterboxd who, like, don't really like this movie. They have issues with, with the point that Tati is making, or how he makes his point. But, like, almost can't imagine how you would say that this movie has no point. This is yeah. this is a pointed movie. Yeah, if anything, it is point. Uh, the film is essentially just two and a half hours of somewhat quirky characters doing somewhat quirky things in a somewhat quirky setting, mm. which I don't disagree with, but... <laughs> You know, all the while accompanied by an incessant Disneyland-esque soundtrack, which is uh, false. There is like, like there's very little score. There's quite a lot of diegetic music. Yeah. But, like, if you want a movie with an incessant score, watch Beam from 1997. Please, someone explain to me what I am missing here. Now, there there are many negative reviews uh, of Playtime, and I think they're kind of understand understandable. I could have easily chosen a half star. Mm. Um, a lot saying a lot repeatedly. The point is like this film has like 30 minutes of content. But the reason I chose Luke is because next we shall continue the ritual and play the game where we pick uh, their top four films, where, where you guess, because I know, yeah. and I think there is a delightful irony in this top four for him looking at playtime and saying nothing happens in this. There is no plot. It's just quirky people doing quirky things in a quirky setting. Uh, is it a okay. Wes Anderson movie? Uh, no. Uh, is, is, it, uh, is it one of the movies that inspired the idea of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl? No. These are all uh. good... If good and great films okay one of one of these films is on your top four list uh okay do 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 is it the apartment no is it stop making sense dang i was pretty sure it wasn't gonna be the four a, a real film about nothing <laughs> happening <laughs> it's it's the best nothing ever yeah but it is Oh, um, it's, another it's, it's one. Plot light. I mean, but there is there's a bit of a plot. Yeah, but the plot is like, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna sing some songs, <laughs> and and then I'm gonna when I go off to get into a big suit, the rest of my band who are a separate band are gonna sing some songs, and now I'm back and I'm in a big suit. Yeah. And now I'm in love with a lamp. Yeah. <clears throat> One is on my top four. Uh, 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 is, is, it, uh is, is it is it the Dardian Brothers one? No. Okay. Uh, is, 
uh, Ethan Mamatambian isn't on your top four anymore, is it? No. It, 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 uh, it's, it's a film it's, you you like as well. Oh, is, uh, uh, it, is it by Lynn Ramsey? No. Okay, is it A Brighter Summer Day? It is A Brighter Summer Day. Cool. A man who loves Stop Making Sense in a Brighter Summer Day (laughs) looks at Playtime and says, no, I need more. (laughs) Uh, The next is a Scorchese. What what mode is Scorchese in here? Sweaty New York 80s. Uh, After Hours. Ding, ding. My my favourite of Scorsese's movies. Um... The last is a Kurosawa, I, and um, not one of like not one of the high-profile ones, but one of the classics. Spoilers: Toshiro Mifune's in this one. Okay, so it's not high and low. It is high and low. It's high and low. Okay. I just don't think high high and low is is a classic. It's just not because people think you know seven samurai movies. Yeah. Yeah, Sanjuro. Yeah. Um, that's the top four. Pretty solid top four. Okay. Yeah. And like, and, and like my point in choosing that is being like, I don't begrudge Luke there not liking playtime. Yeah. I get it. And I have been lucky enough that all three times I saw this, I'm lucky enough that the first time I saw it was in the cinema and all three times I've been in the right place to see it. Because not being tuned into it, you'd just be like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I could really understand just sitting there and just being like, why are you doing, like, how dare you? Mm. It's, it's horrific. But it's also, oh, uh, yeah, what an achievement. <laughs> oh, the other thing, I, the thing I forgot when I was running Tati down at the beginning is that, of course... Between Mon Uncle and and Playtime, he was going to make a more traditional next film um, about a magician who brings a young dancer under his wing called The Illusionist, right, which right, was yeah. later animated uh, by Sylvain Chimay, yeah. who made uh, um, The Triplets of Belleville, which is also... Uh, uh, a magical film, even though there there was justifiably quite a bit of controversy around it, because it is it is a film that that transparently, though possibly unintentionally on Tati's part, was inspired by uh, his relationship with his first child's mother and later denial of that and his yeah. guilt around that, uh, and um, so. Uh, but like, yeah. Also, check that out. And I, I think let's let's turn back the clock, Finn. Okay. It it, it is the sixties or seventies. Rowan Atkinson is seventeen. Yeah. He sees Monsieur Hulot's holiday. This idea of this innocent drifting through the world and interacting with it in in wacky and outlandish ways. And he goes, oh, that's a nice way to be. That's entertaining. Then he's at Cambridge or Oxford, one of those two, Uh, and it is one of those two. Yeah, uh, uh, he he went to Oxford. 
and he's asked to do a sketch. And so then he looks in the mirror and he starts playing with his face and he quote unquote invents Mr. Bean. Yeah. Uh, this, this naive bumbler who, with a, with a passionate sense of both justice and mayhem, who's vindictive and cruel, but ultimately a child, mm. a man-child drifting through the world, um, who is a character that has brought me a lot of joy throughout my life. I, I, I re-watched a lot of the TV show before watching Being the Ultimate Disaster movie, and there are bits in that that are hilarious. I really enjoy them. I think it is possibly the last truly great work of um, a laugh-tracked comedy. Because um, there's something about, like, the, the, the first sketch, the pilot they did is Mr. Bean fucking up a book in a library. Right. And, like, as hilarious as it is, seeing him accidentally colour in a page of a thousand-year-old text with a crayon... Mm. It's really improved when you hear a woman in the audience actually scream. <laughs> um, but when, when Rowan Atkinson was looking in, in the mirror, and he's always acknowledged Tati and Hulo yeah. as an inspiration. I'm not, I'm not attempting, this is not a conspiracy theory. Yeah. But whenever you watch the work closer to each other, when you see Hulo and especially Hulo's Holiday, and to a lesser extent, Mon Uncle, next to him doing Bean. Without ever... There's no plagiarism. There's not... Uh, I've never seen anyone... Uh, no one has ever... Uh, uh, I've never seen anyone make... It, there's no bit of business that's the same. Yeah. But it is very clear that Rowan Atkinson... Mr. Bean is Rowan Atkinson kind of doing a hulo impression yeah. and pushing it in a slightly different direction but it is and i again i want to stress so hard like watching videotapes of mr bean when i was very young uh, uh to quite young was an immense sense of joy i think rowan atkinson is an incredibly skilled physical performer yeah when he lands it when he lands it it's it is it is excellent the the him falling asleep while singing along in church and then having to get a cough drop it is just his timing is it is it is incredible the how they write there have been many attempts since mr bean to do mr bean like works uh, matt lucas did one a while ago mm. and the thing they all lack is writing because you think you never think about how when you watch Mr. Bean as you're like, oh, it's just a man being silly, but you think about like the shape and the arc and the twists and the reveals they put into everything. Mm. Incredible. That, but like Mr. Bean is a derivative work. There, there is nothing in what Atkinson does with Bean that does not come in a way from his antecedents and he's doing this you know it's like yeah like i like the way i cook scrambled eggs <laughs> is how my mum showed me to cook scrambled eggs right, you know? yeah, yeah. 
the pan is the pan is already hot you have your toppings already in there and then you just do the eggs as quick as possible so it's puffy rather than silky and like that is the way that i do it it's my way but it's entirely derivative and so it it was he was shown as a series of specials it was always one one offs mm. there's a total of of 14 episodes ash there's a best of which had some new material and there are deleted scenes that are so undeleted that, you know, as seen as any other part of it, there there have been two different animated shows. Um, He does a big trade on YouTube. Mr. Bean's most recent sketch was Mr. Bean receiving a diamond play button. That's not a joke or lie. It's a real thing that exists. Look it up. It, it's not great. <laughs> Um, uh, which you know started in '89 and went through to the like. Uh, I think they shot their last ones in '94 and the last one broadcast in early '96, and then they went on to making a film. Yeah, and it. How how was it, Ben? Uh, so I did not finish it. Uh, I've yeah. so I've I've never been a huge Mr. Bean fan. Partially that is because my dad, who was my like big comedy influence growing up, and was was the person who showed me like a lot of the stuff that really influenced how I see comedy. Always hated <laughs> Mr. Bean. My, my dad thought Mr. Bean was shit, but he he was like a big Rowan Atkinson fan. He he loved Blackadder, and so that was always my Blackadder, and especially. Seasons three and four of Blackadder were always my preferred mode for for, for Rowan Atkinson, where, where, where he is like where, where he is like devious and 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 sardonic and just like a real shit. But like he knows he's a shit, and you know he's a shit, and everyone knows he's a yeah. shit. Whereas whereas Mr. Bean is like he's more, he's like more of an asshole than Blackadder ever was, but but he's also but but you're also supposed to think oh he's he's kind of he's kind of cute. You know, he, he doesn't know what he's doing, but, which... Yeah, but I, I... I Yeah, I obviously come at it from the opposite angle, yeah. and I think a key part of it is that, for me, Mr. Bean is, 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 like, is like Wallace and Gromit, is like certain parts of The Simpsons, um, mm. and, and like Doctor Who is a very... And Thunderbirds yeah. is like... A, is like are the core texts of my childhood yeah they are like i can like i know the opening sequence of mr bean like i feel in my bones <clears throat> you know like it is it is it is a it is a in search of lost time medline thing i can remember being uh sitting on so many different carpets and so many different houses and seeing it mm. and like the thing i, I i've never warmed to blackadder uh, and that is because i think it is a sh like because that's a show about uh, a horrific clever dick who everyone hates right uh the thing about blackadder is like it is essentially a different character every season and his his conception of the character changes radically each time and like in, in the first season which is my least favorite he is kind of Mr. Bean in in the in the like 1300s. You know, he he, yeah. he is he is incredibly stupid and incredibly capricious and always up for himself, but all but also 
a total fool who, who can never do anything right. Whereas by the fourth season, uh, I think that there was a like a, a real humanity to him, and the fact that he like in the first in the first season he's he's a prince and he he, he like gets lowered down in the station every season. Like he's a prince of the first season. The second season, uh, he, he is he is like a uh, he is like a, a member of the court of Queen Elizabeth I. And then in the third season, he is the the, the like manservant to to the prince regent. And then in the fourth season, he is uh, he, he is a captain in in the English army in the trenches of World War One. And I think that's the season where, where he is the smartest, but it's also the season where he's where he is the most human, and and there, there is the most sort of like real tragic grounding for why he has to be such a shit. And uh, I think I think like season four of Blackadder is along with like both seasons of the young ones is probably the bit of comedy I've seen the most in my life. I absolutely understand why you could and like young ones i'm right there with you yeah. young ones is it's like tati norm mcdonald tier comedy yeah. uh, uh uh one of uh the last loss that hurt as much as norm is maybe rick may yeah, yeah um uh and but to me blackheader is a show about cambridge educated people making a show that that is about how as cruel as they may be ultimately they are right and i'm not thinking about season one here um and that everyone around like it is to me there is a judgmentalness that the show has um on uh, uh, uh on the cast of blackadder except for blackadder which I, I, I bounce off. And, and the thing that draws me to Bean, Bean is, is almost like last night I was looking through the Mr. Bean fan wiki yeah. and tweeting uh, and the, the highlights of people being like, uh, uh, this is the first episode, you know, it, uh, Mr. Bean follows a man into a bathroom cubicle. This is a crime. And he later headbutts the queen. He should be arrested yeah, and yeah. in prison where you're like, no, but that's not like, like, of course there's no judgment, uh, within or without, because it is like, what if we took this man who does not have a brain? whose only response is to the stimulus immediately in front of him, who has, like, no mind or memory, and we just follow that in a cartoon universe where nothing makes sense. Yeah. Which, and, like, without agenda or moral, you know? Uh, And, like... And I like that they are just being like, fuck it, we're just going to be silly. This is just going to be about, like, how do we, what are different situations Rowan Atkinson can be in and look bizarre? As opposed to, like, fucking, oh, look at these idiots. Um, oh, but sure. That, that... The two things about Blackadder is like the like butt of the joke is almost always the aristocracy and the upper class of British society, and then the other thing is like Blackadder always loses. 
it, like it doesn't matter how how like smart and conniving he gets, it's never enough. And he he like he fucking dies at the end of every season. I, I think there, there there is definitely a a, a judgmentalness to to the show, and I, I think like that is because this is you know it's a show written by Ben Elton back when Ben Elton had something to say and had like actual convictions about the fucked way that British society is structured and has been structured for hundreds of years. Oh, I, yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. Yeah. It is a, to- it is, it is what I'm looking at. What I'm talking about is a tonal thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to, uh, yeah, I, I do not think you are wrong. I j- like it. It comes down to it just feeling a bit clever, dicky and showy, yeah. showy off. And and also in the sense of like, oh, I don't know. I just hit at the wrong time of like, oh no, I just know a lot of people who pride themselves on how smart they are uh, uh, within a very kind of like Dunning-Kruger. Yeah, yeah. You are not as smart as you love Blackadder. And so it is, it's like a Rick and Morty, uh, the fandom pushes me away a bit. Right, yeah, yeah. Dang. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, that's, that's, but, that's fair. But, but none of that really matters when it comes to, to Bean. Because like, yeah, the reason I said about like, the TV series works because it's just being silly. It's just connecting events. It's just a man wreaking havoc. Um, and, and like, it is for kids. I can understand people bouncing off it because it's, it's children's entertainment. Mm. And, and, like, the reason it does so well on YouTube is because it, it churns through that. And then taking that and being like, let us make a film that's about our family. You know, working together. Hmm. Mr. Bean gets a best friend and they have a caper. And it's like, no, no. Like, the idea, the moment when they're at the unveiling of Whistler's mother and Mr. Bean looks at Peter McNichol and calls him my best friend. And you're like, no, no, I don't, I don't care. Like, why are you asking me, like, this man who, but 40 minutes ago, was was set, doing an unforced error of pretending to have a gun in an airport. <laughs> that, I've got to say, that, that, that was my favourite part of the movie. When, 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 he, when, he, when he is going through airport security and he, he, sees a, he sees a police officer, his eyes focus in on the gun, he gets this big smile on his face, and I was like, oh, fuck, it's going to be awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, like, starts pretending to, like, have a gun in his pocket just so he can get into a chase of the police. I was like, I, I love, I, I loved how, I, I loved how unmotivated it was. And I love that that meant that we could have the, the return of actor Richard Gant in, in his second uh, shite film role. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, I believe, our, sh- our podcast debuts of both two of my favorites, Sandra O oh and Peter Capaldi. Yeah. So uh, uh, lovely to see both of them. Uh, Capaldi for one scene, Sandra, I believe, for two or three. Yeah, and, um, and she, she, she's, she's in, like, the background of shots of a bunch of other scenes. Oh, yeah. And who can forget uh, Burt Reynolds? Yeah, and, um, like, there, there are so many people in this movie. Like, it's, like, it's good, like Harris Yulin is in this for, for a bunch of scenes. 
Oh yeah. Um, um, the, uh, uh, who was the pe- fuck? Who was the mum? Is it's, I want to say Pamela Reed is yeah. the mum, who is who is one of those comic actresses where you're like, ah, oh, if I wasn't socialized to fixate on men, I would know you as well as I know like Steve Buscemi mm. or Stephen Toblowski, yeah. you know? Yes, uh, Pamela Reed, Kindergarten Cop, Parks and Rec. Oh, God. Here is the f- opening paragraph of her Wikipedia page. Right. Pamela Reed is an American actress. She is known for playing Arnold Schwarzenegger's hypoglycemic-linked police partner in the 1990 movie Kindergarten Cop, as well as the matriarch Gail Green in Jericho. Uh, another sentence about Parks and Rec. And then the final sentence. She is also well known as the exasperated wife <laughs> in Bean. And it's like, yeah, that's the whole character. Yeah. She's there to be like, I'm taking the kids. And it is, uh, it is just so... Yeah, him, him with the gun in the airport, along with... Uh, at, at the end... They, there's a big montage because, um, yeah, you missed the end of the film. After the unveiling of, of Whistler's mother, Mr. Bean does a speech and a police officer comes, pulls Peter McNichol aside and says, your daughter is in a coma at the hospital. She's in a motorcycle accident. <laughs> uh, and so they go there. Mr. Bean uh, is goes into surgery uh, and accidentally drops an M&M into an open surgical cavity <laughs> uh, and then wakes the daughter from a coma by jumping on top of her. Um, and they're like, how can we repay you <laughs> for this horrific act? And he's like, oh, you could let me stay for another week. And there's a big montage going through LA and and, uh, it has a good joke where, um, you know, they're out in their car and Mr. Bean waves at a biker who flips him off, gives him the finger. I've seen that that scene in movie before. I I, I remember that very clearly. Yeah. So he goes around flipping people off. Yeah. Um, very enthusiastically. Know, isn't that, that isn't that basically the, just be, be like joke from from? Isn't it just be be like joke from coming to America, where where someone um, where someone says to Eddie Murphy, "Fuck you," and then he thinks that "fuck you" is like a nice thing to say to people. I mean, yeah, but like that's a pretty broad comparison mm. without saying you're wrong. Uh, and 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 the very specific praise I would give to those two sequences is that they're the two best comic sequences in this that aren't just repurposed material from the TV show. Because like when they go to the theme park, um, him on the the Motion Master ride is is from him on the roller coaster. Right. Um, him on the plane is is a, almost a direct lift from the TV show, okay. including popping the bag of vomit. Um, him cheering up the sun with paper on his face is 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 directly from the TV mm. show. Uh, and I think uh, Roger Ebert's review of this film was that this film, uh, if this film 
was an hour, it would be non-stop laughs, and then they added 30 minutes of stops. <laughs> I agree with that in principle, but I would up it to more like 45, 45. Yeah. Because, yeah, uh, it, like... Okay, here's my challenge to you. Just go over the plot you have. Can you explain the plot in twenty word in precisely twenty words? I will be counting. Okay. Art gallery employee Mr. Bean is sent to America <laughs> to preside over the unveiling of a nice painting. You got two words. Hijinks ensue. <laughs> yeah, like, yep, he fucks up the painting, which is like, okay, but like, that whole him accidentally fucking up and attempting to restore an incredible piece of artwork is literally the pilot sketch they shot for the TV show, <laughs> him fucking up an antique book, yeah. and that that's all better, it's all better there. Mm. And it is just... It just doesn't land. No. And I remember, and like, even when I was 11 and saw this, when it came out, I was hyped for it. And I felt disappointed by it. Mm. So this is not me being like, I was dumb as a kid and liked this. It is just, there's something so, well, like, do you have any stances on the Johnny English films? Uh, I've I've never seen a full Johnny English film. The 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 the, mm. the the parts I've seen of them, I just fully bounce off of them. It's like that 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 stuff doesn't work for me at all. Um, I I think they they illustrate more clearly what I think is the problem with this. Um, with Bean, and to a lesser extent with Mr. Bean's Holiday, the other feature, which is that, like, there are some good bits in, in John, each Johnny English film has one or two good comic sequences. Um, and with the third, I remember not being mad at the third. Mm. The second is very bad, and the first one is just boring. Right, yeah. Um, but they are plagued by the fact that Rowan Atkinson is clearly an incredible perfectionist when it comes to comedy and to physical comedy. He's almost like a scientist of it. What is the precise beats of this joke? And in a way that Tati also is. But like Tati is a scientist, a architect. Uh, a surgeon of humor mm. but he everything he is doing so precisely that restaurant sequence in playtime working everything out timing everything perfectly for it to feel unchoreographed and free yeah. and living whereas in the johnny english films especially it just feels airless. It just feels like an it feels like jokes written in Excel. It feels like boom, funny, boom, funny, happening. It it doesn't feel there's life to it, and, and that also hits that that Rowan Atkinson I think has a very set idea uh, of of what heart 
in a film is, sure, you yeah, know, like yeah. a moral and like what cool is. And it's all about family and friendship. And when he is trying to transpose these onto dullard characters, he immediately breaks all of the films like the idea that women are actually attracted to Johnny English or that he has friends or that, yeah, Mr. Bean, after wrecking a man's life relentlessly and then, like, committing several crimes uh, in, in, in surgery and then assaulting a woman so she wakes up from a coma, which, like, I state bluntly to make a point. But, like, as comic set pieces, sure, fine. Like, as moments in the TV show, great. But that's because the TV show never then has Mr. Bean be like, I have human feelings. Yeah. You know? The closest we get to that is that he has a, a girlfriend called Irma Gob, which is, you know, incredible name. <clears throat> uh, she's also in the animated series. Uh, 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 I, I've, I learned from the Mr. Bean wiki. Um... But there's never a point where, like, she breaks up because he upsets her because he, it looks like he's proposing, but he got a ring to hang a picture on the wall. Right. And that is just, like, she is, and um, uh, Matilda Ziegler does a great performance. She's a great physical actress, which is to say comic physicality actress. But, like, she understands that in that moment, she is a part of the joke mechanism she is as real as any other prop around being mm. and, and but in the film in the film version of that scene she would then come back and be like but you've broken my heart and then mr bean would have to be like i'm sorry i don't know love in the way you do and it's like you can't give this guy interiority or he as as we've been saying becomes a monster he has to just be a cartoon character. Yeah, and like there is like a similar sort of thing that happens in 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 Mister Bean's Holiday, where he where he like sort of gets a girlfriend in that as well, and he like forms an emotional connection with this child. I saw Mister Bean's Holiday a bunch as a kid, and I definitely like have fonder memories of seeing that than I do of watching Bean like this morning. But I think Mister Bean. Is a is like a slapstick character that cannot sustain real emotion, unlike someone like the Tramp. Yeah, the, the like stuff where the Tramp falls in love is, I think, some of the weakest stuff in City Lights. But it, it still it still works, and there is still like a genuine feeling there, and it doesn't feel like he's just a maniac. Well, and the the Tramp is always punching up. Yeah, and he never does something where. Like the 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 tramp is 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 a comic innocent, and Bean is a comic psychopath. Yes. <laughs> like and, and like there is genuine joy in that. That is not a diss on that concept. But the moment you put him in a situation with a man whose family is falling apart, he worries about his daughter, about his son. It is like it would. <laughs> I don't know. It's like if Shrek suddenly had a gun, you know, (laughs) you're like, no, this changes. It's no, it's like, why don't they have guns in Harry Potter? And you're like, well, because then it would just be so fucked. Like it is like the fact that clearly the next Fantastic Beasts film is about World War Two is you're like, no, don't do that. Mm. 
stick we want to be in the magic world like you can't sustain this reality can't sustain no. and like mr bean to sustain mr bean he can't have a reality he has to be the like Yes, he can drop an M&M in someone during surgery. It's a great bit with good ideas. But that that comes after him giving an emotional speech about the power of family. You're like, yeah, it can't... It simply doesn't work. Yeah. And, and I think the thing Steve Bendelak... It's like, it, I think Mr. Bean's Holiday works more. I wanted to watch it again before this, but I most recently saw like five, six, seven years ago. Um, and, and like pointedly, that has a creative team that is not the, this is, this is directed by Mel Smith, who didn't direct any of the TV show, but knew everyone. He is the Smith of Smith and Jones, yeah. if, if that means anything to you. He came from Not the Nine O'Clock News, which also gave us, you know, Rowan Atkinson and, and many other uh, uh, comic luminaries of the era. Um, uh, and it was written by uh, Atkinson and Curtis and maybe Robin Driscoll, um, who who is who for a long period of time was Atkinson's writing partner. And the sequel in Mr. Bean's Holiday was directed by Steve Bendelak. Um, it was his first feature, but he had made his name making feature film-like television. Mm -hmm. He directed all of The League of Gentlemen, which is um, a very good and incredibly transphobic television show um, uh, uh, that also contains blackface. Uh, and uh, he directed the first season of Little Britain, which is a bad, which is an okay first season of a bad show that looks incredible. Right. Yeah. If you just like, like there are there are like there are long like Paul Thomas Anderson, Robert Altman single take steady cam shots in that. He's always choosing incredible lenses. And and ben, so Bendelak knows like what things look like on TV and what things look like on film, yeah. and I think and what those universes need to be. And Simon McBurney, the bad guy from Mission Impossible, uh, um, Rogue Nation, uh, go, the um, one of them, uh, uh, who is a. Uh, uh, a, a clown and and theatre person especially was brought in to write the script and then they had other people with that speciality do rewrites on his script and I think they realised you kind of have to keep it innocent and what that film has is that it builds all of its arcs happen around Mr. B. Right, yeah. He does not, he is, he is the character we follow, he is not the protagonist. The protagonist is the kid. Uh, and, and there is almost a game. The game of that film is almost about like how Mr. Bean doesn't really change. It is that he accidentally gives people what they need around him. Yeah. And that a lot of your pleasure is in watching a story where the main motivating factor is a man who is at best a stopped clock, you mm. know? Um. And I think that's how they learned the lesson of being the ultimate disaster movie. But, it, you know, did they, they didn't need to learn a lesson. It made a quarter of a billion dollars. <laughs> um, Rowan Atkinson owes more cars than Jay Leno and 
has two houses that he can uh, go-kart between. <laughs> uh, fuck it. Oh, it sucks. What a... Um, anyway, for more on why Rowan Atkinson is bad, check out Cold Lasagna, Hate Myself, 1999. Oh, I, was, I was just about to mention that. A, a, fan, a fantastic bit of comedy by James A. Hester. I saw him do it live twice. Yeah, no. It was uh, two of my favorite comedy experiences I've ever had. Uh, but yeah, it just, it, it's a shite film and it is, and it could have been good and they got lazy, didn't think about it, had the wrong ideas and it, yeah, cause it's not, yeah, I, I'm, the point I'm trying to make is like, it hurts me that this is shite. Mm. I, I wish, yeah, fuck. Yeah. Oh. Hey, Yufa. Did you know some people yeah. like this film a lot? Oh wait. So by not giving your own ranking, you're implicitly calling it no, sound. It's I presume it's shite. I don't I enjoy mean, it. I might not even finish I mean, watching it. You, you have to. You ha- like I like do legally. Have to yes, I, I did finish. sign a contract with you, but yeah. I finished watching all the films. But uh, yeah. so, uh, uh, this, is, this is a five-star review from Letterboxd user, from Letterboxd user Jesse Cordray. Ah, okay. Felt like an early morning flick, exclamation mark. This film never fails to crack okay, me up. Okay, so is this person talking about, like, masturbating in the morning? I mean, is prob- that how this review starts? Probably. Oh, okay, um, let's listen to this whole interview in light of the fact that they are masturbating while watching this film. Flicking the bean, yeah, if you will. Yeah, great, yeah. It felt like an early morning flip, exclamation mark. This film never fails to crack me up, exclamation mark. Even, <laughs> yeah. even though this film has a good deal of rehashed bits from a TV series, it still manages to be quite enjoyable in its own right. All the Whistler's Mother bits, all the Whistler's Mother bits were downright gold, exclamation mark. Rowan Atkinson is simply a comedic genius. Uh, crying laughing emoji, crying laughing emoji. Uh, no, that's cum. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, and uh, calling the whistler's mother's bit gold is because they, 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 they pissed with erotic excitement. Great. Fantastic. And I'm cutting yeah, that. Yeah, good job. And, but I've already said piss, luckily. Okay, so w- would you like to guess Jesse Cordray's top four films? Is one of them being the ultimate disaster uh, movie? No. Although one of them is okay. a, a slapstick comedy with uh, arguably more violence than Bean. Okay. Does it have dialogue? It does. Does it have yes. noise? It is uh, one of two sequels on, on this top four list. Ah, uh, okay. Ah, uh, is it Evil Dead 2? It is two? Evil Dead 2, yes. Ding, ding. Uh, the, the, uh, the other sequel on the list. Is it a comic book film? It is not, no. Okay. Uh, this is a movie that uh, both of us know very well, and so everything I can think of to say about it is uh, very, very uh, obvious. Um, okay. Do we know it because we love it? Uh, it's a very flawed film that we both enjoy a lot. Oh, uh, is it Tenet? Uh, no, it, it's, it's a sequel. <laughs> I mean, Tenet is a sequel to itself. You just have to watch it backwards. Sure. It's not um, Tenet. Uh, oh. Oh, and it's not a superhero yeah. film. Oh, it's it, it, it's, it, it is it's not a comic book film. It, you you could argue it's a superhero film. Um, 
it, it is a film where uh, uh, it is a film where uh, one, one, of, one, of, one of the substitute one of the substitute teachers at my high school uh, was uh, was a uh, was a body double in in this movie uh, because they needed because uh, uh, they needed uh, tall guys uh, they needed tall white guys with a pronounced but receding hairline. Is it? Oh, the the Matrix Reloaded. Yes, it is the Matrix Reloaded. Now, I do, like, I do love The Matrix Reloaded, but very much, like, I love the film. They are, they, they were trying yes, to yeah. make and made, and made 95% of, and <laughs> with the unfortunate bit that that 5% gap totally alienates people yeah. and, and mostly understandably. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, the, the, gonna, uh, uh, Oh no, I'm just excited about experiencing that with Briar <laughs> and like, because you always forget that first rave orgy, yeah. two thumbs up, sincere yeah. and joy, great, great always scene. loved it. Even when I hated that film, you always forget how long it goes yeah. on. Like the opposite, like there are only two sex scenes in Bound and they're both over quickly. Yeah. And you're always like, isn't that film entirely <laughs> sex? And it's like, no. It is just incredible shots of Gina Gershon plumbing with Jennifer Tilly's thighs in the background, um, which is better than sex. Uh, I want to stress for anyone listening that, that Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly both say that that is the best thing they've ever worked on and they love the working environment, um, which is a key part of what makes it good. Yeah. The next film uh, stars Robin Williams and is directed by my granddad's uh, girlfriend's son-in-law. Bicentennial man? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, it, it's, it's, by, it's by a New Zealand director. Uh, oh, What Dreams yes, May Come. What Dreams May Come by Vincent Ward. Uh, Vincenzo Wodowski, yeah. yeah. Yeah, my 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 granddad is currently dating uh, Vincent, Vincent Ward's uh, mother-in-law. The last film on the list is not a New Zealand film that has a fair few Modi actors in it. Is it a Star Wars it film? It is not, although although Tim is one okay. of the actors. Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, but, like, no, he's just... It's him or Cliff. Yeah. Um, is Cliff in it? No. Uh, no. Tim. What decade? 2010s. Are they playing Mexicans? They are not. Is it Ender's Game? No. Uh, no. Ben Kingsley is Marty in that, though. He, uh, um, he is. Yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> uh, is Linda Cardellini in it? She is not. Linda, pick up your game. <laughs> so I'm assuming, is it... Was it, in a, was it an attempt to start a franchise? Or part uh, of one? No. Although I wouldn't be surprised if it was a sequel. Uh, is it? Oh, is it like a Neeson style like action joint? Uh, not at all. Okay, so is it a Neeson style Love Actually joint? No, it is. Uh, uh, it is a Disney style animated movie. Is it Disney style because it was made by Disney? Uh, yes. Okay, so Frozen. No. Tangled. No. Frozen 2. No. Very very few Maori people in the snow movies. Raya the Last Dragon. Yes, correct. No. No, it's uh, 
Moana? Yes, it is Moana. Pocahontas, Moana, colon Moana now. Yeah, with uh, it's got it's got Rachel House, got Timura Morrison, Jermaine Clement, and of course Alan Tudyk. I mean, he is Tudyk is Disney mainlines John Ratzenberger because he's yeah. he's the he, white guy in Raya and the Last Dragon as well. Yeah, and he, so he, those he's... of you listening at home, I watched that film recently. And I agree, it is a lot like because, Avatar: because The Last Airbender. Yeah, because because if you because you you have if you watched it, it'd be allowed on that dating service. Finally, but then he found out they were different things, and it was oh, he was furious. But yes, what are we watching next week? Next week we are going back into Jean Godard territory for 1965's Piero Le Fou or Piero the Fool with the recently departed Jean Paul Belmondo and Anna Karina. Yeah. Also, one of the few Cowboy Bebop episode titles not from a song is, of course, a reference to this film. So okay. I, I, I hope you've watched that one. And, uh, and, and, and with that, we are, watching, uh, we, we are watching Leonard Castle's The Honeymoon Killers, about, uh, uh, which is another movie about a couple who go on a crime spree. Yeah. It's, It'll it's, be a good time. It, it's, it's actually supposed to be really good. So, uh, uh. Oh, exciting. I love the title. Hey, Finn. Yes. Where can people find you online? Uh, who gives a shit? Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at ShiteSoundPod, or you can email us at ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Why not check out our website? It's at ShiteAndSound.com. That's and the word and not and the ampers and... Um, come on, complete the thought brain. Uh, if you like what I do, and uh, I hope you do, and if you don't, please don't tell me. I'm in quite a bad place right now. Check out the most recent episode of my... For more on that, check out my, the most recent episode of uh, my Doctor Who podcast, The Slow Path, where uh, me and my girlfriend, uh, Briar, watch Doctor Who until we die. The most recent episode being what I can best describe as a 75-minute sack solo of sadness from me great uh, yeah uh, uh, hey if you really like oh there's quite a lot of babysitters club talk as well we we talk about reinventing that series mm-hmm. i have to tell you maybe maybe cut from the podcast but <laughs> two or three episodes ago uh, i started teasing her and she said no 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 that's shite and sound funny I want us funny. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. Is she... Oh God. Uh, um, I also have a podcast called The Witching Hours, which is a audio drama podcast. Sign up for my newsletter at bit.ly slash youthalives. Youthalives is also where you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Not that anyone uses any of those platforms anymore. Our theme song is The Nux by Kazam Blam. You can check them out on Bandcamp. But hey, if you like the show, leave us a review on the Apple Podcasts app. Go recommend on, us, do it. Recommend us to a friend. And we know we're an acquired taste. It would just be nice if other people acquired it. Uh, check out, we've got a, a hefty back catalogue now. There's some gold in them there hills. And also like the uh, um uh, come on, come on, come on. The Ali Fear It's the Soul episode, which the audio was so bad, it's it's borderline incoherent. I feel like we have to do it. Oh, no. When we do the Fast Bender and the Furious yeah. Bender, they will count as our makeup on that. Movies are good. Even Bean Ones. 
go watch them. <laughs>